up, guys? Just want to welcome everyone to the first episode of the Through It All podcast. Uh, before we start going into it, I just want to say a quick uh, thank you to everyone who is listening to this, whether it's the first five minutes or it's the whole thing. Truly does mean a lot. Uh, I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and I finally just kind of took some action on it. But uh, yeah, thanks for being here. And today, for our first episode, I felt like it would only be right. I got my dad, Ted Gleason, and in this episode, he kind of talks about his experiences playing college golf and how the the lessons he learned and the tools he gained from navigating through that kind of set him up for for a successful future, uh, whether it was in business, and he uses those tools to, in pretty much every aspect of his life, whether it's being a parent, talking to his clients, being a business owner, etc., and then towards the end, we talk about him playing against Tiger Woods, and that's kind of just a quick, cool little story at the end as he took him to overtime in the U.S. Am. So, yeah, thanks for being here. This is the Through It All Podcast with host Connor Gleason. Hi, what's up, everyone? I'm here with my dad, Ted Gleason. Um, I call him Teddy, so throughout the interview, that's how I'm referred to him as. But um, Teddy, thanks for being on. Appreciate you. Of course. I'm honored to be through it all's first guest. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it's only right. I mean, you got me. You kind of got me started on this thing. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for hopping on. Well, it's you. You're the one that's moving, moving the rock up the hill, buddy. We're just uh, happy to be a part of it. So um, I'm excited about you know, breaking it down with you. Yes, sir. All right, well, let's hop in. Um, so as, a, as uh, the story I've heard many times, um, there's a lot of stuff that basically in your life you kind of fall back on just because, you know, tough times require, uh, as David Goggins says, you kind of got to reach in that cookie jar for, you know, the tough times, fall back on them. And uh, I think w- what you've kind of just – told me is you draw back on that UCLA experience and I feel like that's something powerful to you so if you could kind of start off with that and we'll just build from there with that story yeah yeah I mean that's kind of my I guess uh one of the turning points for me um you know at UCLA um I guess I could start back a little bit just having been involved in golf since I was a kid Golf was really the focal point of kind of everything I did, really starting when I was 12, even though I played it earlier than that. Um, So that kind of became what I did every day, how I got my self-esteem, I tied my emotions to, my passions to, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I got to a point, you know, and I'm thankful that my parents fostered that and, you know, gave me the resources to, you know, get instruction and play in tournaments and, you know, really do, you know, whatever they could to, to help me kind of, you know, move along in my journey with golf. So I think it's important for, you know, anybody listening to know that, you know, I was very blessed and grateful to have a couple of parents, uh, you know, support me and, and other good mentors that helped me, you know, get good at golf. Basically, you know, I put a lot of time into it, but I had expert instruction. And so that earned the opportunity to go to UCLA on a scholarship. So very exciting, obviously, to, to be able to play uh, and get a scholarship to UCLA. Um, and I went in there 
not really knowing what I was getting into other than, okay, it was college golf. Um, and I, and I quickly, you know, found out that it was, it was really hard. Um, you know, and, uh, you want me to dive into kind of what, what all that meant then? I'd, I'd love for you to floors yours. Okay. So, yeah, so I get there and, um, you know, you've heard this story more times than I can even count, but, uh, they I gotta hear my, yeah, I call it my debacle, but, uh, so, you know, I, I got there again, not knowing really what to expect and then finding out it was really hard. It was uh, super competitive. UCLA had won the national championship the year before they had lost yep. quite a few players from that team, but they still had guys that, that were there that were very good. Um, and I quickly realized I just wasn't emotionally ready for what it took to really uh, play there. Um, and I knew that pretty quickly. And so, uh, you know, I decided with my, my coach who recruited me, Eddie Marins, Mr. Marins, uh, that I would mm-hmm. redshirt. And it was a great decision for me. Um, I just needed more time to get comfortable with myself, my game, the whole thing about balancing school and golf and expectation. I mean, it was, it was kind of for real, right? You go to college, it's, it's pretty much yeah. business and it's a business. They want the guys that perform the best. That's just how it works. Um, and division one and high levels of whatever college athletics you're playing. So I redshirted. It was great. Um, and then at the end of that year, Mr. Marins retired, which was, you know, that was not expected. Um, you know, I was hoping to, to play for yeah. him. So UCLA hired a new coach. Um, and Mr. Marins, you know, totally get it. He had obligations at Bel Air Country Club. He had to move on. But uh, so they hired a new coach and um, somewhere, somehow after that first year of redshirting, and again, it was a great, great experience for me. Um, it was really beneficial. I started yeah. just getting caught up in my golf swing. Um, I don't know what it was. I started probably paralysis by analysis, trying to, you know, swing differently, do things differently than I had done in the past. And, I just went into that year and had nothing to do with the new coach, but I went into that year, just not being a very good golfer relative to what I needed to. So, um, you know, I, uh, just started really not playing well, kind of snowballed, started second guessing myself, um, started trying to, you know, start worrying about things that were outside of my control. Probably what this new coach thought. Yeah, my teammates thought, you know, I'd redshirted. I should be playing. Everybody back home expects me to play because I was a, you know, a good junior golfer and I was always Ted the golfer. So, you know, I just started getting probably in my own head. Um, Not probably. I was getting in my own head and started playing really bad and to the point where, you know, I just had zero confidence. I didn't want to go out to practice. And, you know, it all kind of came to a head at some point that second year. Mm-hmm. You know, in practice, I shot 93, 94 back to back days, which is like, that's like a, you know, 18 handicap. I mean, it's, yeah. Like, yeah. it's yeah. like, I can't even, you know, I, I, I said, I've said this story so many times I can't even believe, but that's really what I shot. I mean, it's not an yeah. exaggerated yeah. score. I literally shot 93, 94. So you can imagine I couldn't find the planet off the tee. Um, I had the. <laughs> I had the driver yips, they call it. I just couldn't, you know, and some of that, you know, we can get into that later, but some of that still haunts me to this day. But uh, nonetheless, um, that that moment where 
I was on the 17th hole of that, of that back-to-back day of shooting 93 or 94. And I hit a bad shot and I just tomahawked a seven iron down the fairway. Um, very uncharacteristic of, of me. I never really did that stuff. I did it, acted up a little bit as a kid. And then, you know, my dad said, you know, you're not doing that again. Um, if you do, you're not playing and we're not taking you to tournaments. So I didn't do it until that point and I had enough. And so anyway, um, that night I remember calling the team captain, Rob Sullivan, and just apologizing and saying, I'm over this. Um, I need some time off. So the coach, coach made me talk to the team, which I thought was good and explained to, to the team why I was, you know, stepping away and all that. And so I don't remember how long it was, a couple months or so, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And, you know, I was, I was gonna maybe go rowing team. I was just, I was searching. Um, what's that? You were done, huh? Yeah, I was. I was done, and so I was like, you know, forget it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm over this. And I don't know what it was. Maybe getting away from it. I don't know. I started being more detached from my score, which I needed. I started working with a. There was a psychologist on campus named Dr. Parham and Dr. Parham, um, he worked with, I'd say, normal, quote, normal students. He wasn't a, a necessarily a, a full time sports psychologist, but he dabbled in sports psychology and the athletic mm-hmm. department had they had access to him. Um, it wasn't like it is today where teams have, you know, full sports psychology and sports psychology in 1989 or whatever it was, was not, you know, the force it is now. Um, but he was available to me and maybe my coach even said, Hey, you can go talk to this guy. So I started talking to him and uh, little did I know that was really the start of me building and working through it all, you know, you know, yeah. through the whole thing. There you go. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really know it, but you know, he gave me a lot of perspective. He gave me um, information about being in the present, focusing on what I can control forgetting about, you know, what I couldn't control, those kind of things. And so anyway, that was my second year. And I started doing some of that stuff um, and came back to the team after, I don't know, it was a month and a half, two months, something like that. And I kept playing and not, not great, but better. Um, Certainly not good enough to play for UCLA. And so at the end of that year, I still hadn't played a tournament. So I've been a college golfer now two years, no, no playing time. And um, I'm starting to build a little bit, but, um, I, I still need to, you know, got a lot of work to do. Um, but yeah. Dr. Parham, I'm, I'm blessed for that. He gave me a lot of great things that I still use to this day. And as you know, I've used throughout my coaching career, mentor career, my parental career. So, yeah. uh, so at the end of that year, my coach calls me into the office and, and he says, uh, Ted, you know, you're, you're a nice kid and you're doing fine in school and all that. And we like having you, but you know, you're just, you're just not good enough, bud. And, uh, you need to transfer and, um, you know, you're not worth the scholarship and we're going to take your scholarship away. And, um, you know, it's, it wow. was, uh, what's that? Wow. Yeah. It was, it was a punch in the face and the stomach, all that stuff. And, you know, for what he saw, I was not a good golfer. I, I mean, I can't argue with what he saw. My point to him was that, listen, you know, I was a really good junior golfer and um, I deserve another year. And he's like, you know, you're just not going to make it here. And he said Jeez. that 
you know, if you come back, I think what he did, you know, UCLA is a quarter system. He said, I'll give you, you know, I've already promised your scholarship away. Um, uh -huh. And, and you're going to get 33%, I think your first quarter. And then after that you're done because you're going to have to reach out for the team. I'm not giving you a spot on the team. So that was kind of where the rubber met the road. And, you know, basically, um, you know, I said, Hey, you know, I want another meeting with the athletic director and, and you, and I actually met with the assistant athletic director and the coach and told him how I felt. Obviously I got coached up by my dad and, yeah. um, you know, it was kind of a big deal, but we learned that, Hey, scholarships are year to year at that time and he can do whatever he wants. And, um, so that's kind of when I went to my dad, I'm like, I'm out of here. Um, you know, this guy doesn't, want me he doesn't think I'm good enough and all this stuff and my dad's like you know in the most simplest way he just said he asked me two questions he said do you love UCLA and I said I do I really love it here mm -hmm. he says okay and he said do you love golf and I said yeah I do you know I got to the point where you know and and I thank Dr. Parham for for that you know he got me on the right track and so at that point I was like yeah I love it I want to play and he's like okay mm -hmm. then you know, don't let somebody else define what you want, you know, pretty powerful, pretty powerful words. And, um, he says, you know, you know, you've done it before. Yeah. It's in there. You know, I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's in there. And, you know, basically bet on yourself. If that's what you want, just go for it. Don't, mm -hmm. don't run away from it. Yeah. And cause I was going to go to, I was going to transfer back to Cal state San Bernardino and be close to home and my buddies and, and do all that. And, you know, he's like, you know, you got to get better. And that's the point of it is he's like, Hey, okay, this is what you want. Then you really mm -hmm. got to take this, this inventory of what you're doing, son. And, and, uh, and, and get to work, you know, your swing, you're very, you know, you've been very mechanical. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you're not, you're not working on the right things. Your attitude continue needs to continue to get better. And through your work with Dr. Parham and you need to just work harder. Yeah. You know, it's not going to come easy. Um, and the light bulb just, Connor, what for whatever reason, it just kind of, I don't know, just kind of went off. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I want this. I'm going to do it. You know, I guess yeah. that, that encouragement of just, you know, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but you know, he just kind of switched my perspective and I'd been living in fear mm -hmm. for that last, you know, year basically of my game, wondering if I'd ever play and the judgment I was going to, and I just, I don't know. I just, it just, I let it go. And I just started focusing completely on what I could control. Mm. Um, and obviously had the support of my mom and dad. Um, and I said, okay, I'm going to come back. And, you know, I went to Indiana cause my parents, you know, had moved to Indiana and I found yep. this instructor. My dad found him. I mean, he was like the guru of, of, you know, my kids need something. I'm going to find somebody that can help them. I'm going to do homework and I'm going to find somebody that's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was unbelievable in that. And he found this guy named Lloyd Watkins. And the story I'm telling now is the longest version probably, but <laughs> oh, well, people are going to listen or not listen. That's up to them. Um, yeah. But, uh, and I found Lloyd Watkins. My dad found Lloyd Watkins and Lloyd was just a gift. He was like this old guy that played against um, Sam Snead and Ben Hogan and money games and played in tour events, but he wasn't as good as those guys in the tour events, but he was a big time gambler played with Titanic Thompson. Who's one of the most famous gamblers of all time. If you Google Google Titanic Thompson, well, Lloyd 
gambled a lot and was partners with Ty and Lloyd at that time that I found him, my dad found him. He couldn't hardly see very much. He only worked with a few players and my dad convinced him to, to, to help me out. And thank yeah. goodness because Lloyd just got me back to feeling the game, feeling the club, not getting so technical. Um, and I'd have two hour lessons with Lloyd and we'd, we'd talk and he'd tell me stories about his times with Titanic Thompson. And I mean, I'd go off an hours on talking about that stuff. It was just incredible. And so he got me believing here's this guy that played against these players. He's like, listen, son, I mean, you can, you can play, you know, you got to bring the feel back into your game. And so anyways, I started working with him, started getting my feel back, started, you know, working on my short game, my mental game. I started running and running and and taking care of myself and eating right. And I just started doing every single thing I could just to feel good about myself. Mm. And that's the lesson, you know, I tell anybody that's, that's going, you know, it's trying to work through something is, you know, as much as you can understand everything's improvable, understand that it's not always going to be easy. And also understand that if you can just stay focused on what you can control at the end of the day, that's, that's, that's good enough. You know, I mean, if you just keep focusing on what you can control, trying to get a little better every day, working on all the things that you can control. I mean, that's what I did all summer. And I started competing, you know, getting in competition again, which I was scared to death of um, because I didn't want to play bad, but I just had to kind of suck it up. And it's like, you know what, it's just something I got to get through. And I'm going to take some lumps and I'm just going to do my best. And I'm going to try to think the right way. And I'm going to try to keep improving my thought process, all that. And I, and I got better that summer and I went mm. back and I made the team and the tryouts. There was, you know, I don't know, 30 guys, maybe. I think they took three guys. I think I yeah. finished second. I know I didn't win it, but I think I finished second. And coach, coach was impressed and said, Hey, you've improved and you've earned your spot back on the team. And about halfway through that third year, I made my first tournament. Um, the end of the year, I was the fifth man on the team that qualified for nationals. I helped the team my last round was a 72 under par. I didn't count the first two rounds at regionals, but my last round helped the team. And I really, at that moment, I felt like I was a college golfer for the very first time. Um, yeah, it took me. So that was in May or whenever regionals was may of my third year in college Mm -hmm. was really the first moment. I really felt, I mean, I played tournaments that spring, but I never felt like I was significant contributor. Mm -hmm. Um, but that one round was the difference. And I want to say this, that the night before that round, I hadn't counted the first two rounds of the regionals. And uh-huh. so I was, I was questioning myself big time. Yeah. And all those demons were coming back. And uh, my coach, who's the one that told me I'd never play there and I needed to transfer. And I give him a ton of credit with this, a ton of credit. He said, listen, Ted, try to draw the ball. Just try to fade the ball every time. Your swing's a little bit more aggressive from the top. Just fade the ball. Can you tell people and what the still, what a fade is? Today, this is what's that? Can you tell people what the fade what a fade shot is? Yeah, for a right, for a right-handed golfer, it's moving the ball a little from left to right. So mm. my swing was a little steeper, so I'm kind of hitting down. It's kind of like in tennis a little cut shot, you kind of cut it. It's yeah. not like overhand. So the ball moves a little left to right. And because of my nature of my swing, it's a little aggressive from the top. He's like, just play the fade, Ted. And I'll tell you what. And so we on the range, we just started hitting fades that night. And that first 
first tee shot of the next day. I'll never forget it. It's at University of New Mexico, of course, and there was kind of hazard down the left. So, you know, left was not good, but you had I aimed down the left side of the fairway. And I remember hitting it and saying, okay, I'm just going to hit a fade every day. And I used my, my stuff that I was working on with Dr. Parham, my mantras and all that. And I hit it down the fairway with this little fade. And it was just kind of, okay. You know, it was like, yeah, you know, I kind of did it right. And I shot two under and I helped the team. And so that piece of advice was just like amazing. And it's funny now because um, I still hit that's my money shot. I still fade is if I need to do something, I really should hit a fade. I don't really try to hit a draw that much. So um, anyway, that was the turning point that next summer. Um, you know, I played a bunch of tournaments, you know, I qualified for the USAM, um, made it to the USAM, made it to match play. You know, you know, my Tiger Woods story. We just got cut off there, but um, you were in the middle of talking about kind of, playing in the amateur tournaments when you're starting to kind of get back up and yeah, this is going into your senior year. I want to say junior. So it was junior, junior year. So I was just saying that that, that summer and that match at us amateur and some other tournaments I was playing in, in Indiana, I was just kind of getting a little bit of my mojo back and yep. going. And then my junior year was, um, you know, I played in a lot of events um, and I, you know, I wasn't, this amazing college player, my junior year by any means, but I played and I was competing and I was getting better and, and all those kind of things. Um, so it was good. You know, I was contending my momentum of my built working on my attitude. And with Dr. Parham, I was, you know, doing all those things. I was doing a lot of reading and just self-awareness and, and breathing. And I was just trying to do everything I could possibly do to, to feel good about myself and to work on my game and to get better. Um, and I kept doing that. And that next summer, um, I made the U S amateur again, um, at the honors course in Tennessee, I made match play again. I played David Duvall. Um, wow. I lost three and two to David Duvall. It really wasn't a match. The tiger match was cool. Cause I lost on the 19th hole. It was a good match. Uh-huh. Duvall, Duvall just drummed me, but, uh, um, still I'm, I'm building confidence and, you know, I'm feeling really good. And, and I go into my senior year and I've, you know, I've kind of it's kind of taken me a while to get to where I was, you know, actually feeling like I was a golfer, you know, again. Uh-huh. So if you think about back to my second year, all the way, you know, it's like three years of work and, and ups and downs, but I was just trying to, again, focus on what I can control and just keep going. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't really have any, these goals of what I wanted necessarily uh, other than I just wanted to get better. Mm-hmm. And, um, I wanted to play. Certainly I wanted to play. Um, and so going to my senior year, I remember we had this long qualifier, like a six round qualifier. And, uh, I think the coach took exempted the top three, I want to say, mm-hmm. and they would automatically get in based on their scores. And then he would pick three, something like that. And I just remember I was, I had played well, really well. One, I shot like 65 one round, but one round I shot like 85. I didn't play well. So my total strokes was like just outside of, he picked me over a, a, a player or two. Okay. So he just felt like I had a chance to shoot lower. Um, so it's kind of funny, right? I mean, at one point he's, he's saying, I'm not good enough. I'll never play. And then yeah. at this point to start my senior year, he's like, I'm going to pick you because 
I really love, I think your attitude and I think your potential to play a good round is better mm-hmm. than the other guys. I mean, that's just kind of what he told me. Yeah. So he said, that's what he expected. He expe- he wanted my attitude. He wanted my willingness to not give up. He wanted my ability. If I played bad to come back. So, you know, that was really why he chose me as a, as a coach's pick. That's a powerful and, statement right there. Yeah. He just yeah. came from telling you you're not good enough. Like you're not worth a scholarship. And then he's like, Hey, I'm gonna pick you even though, cause usually wouldn't he give it to someone else just because their scores were higher, but he, yeah, he gave I mean, it to you. Yeah. He gave it to me. My scores were higher than somebody else by a little bit. Right. Um, so if he just went straight down by the scores for the first coaches picks, I, I might not have got that pick. Mm. Um, but he picked me, which, you know, made me feel really good, but also I wanted to play well, <laughs> you know, yeah. you get picked, you want to play well. So I go into this, this senior year, first tournament was at University of New Mexico, which was kind of ironic because that's the course where I really felt like I became a golfer shooting the 70 at the regionals a couple of years prior. Uh-huh. Um, and I went out and there, th- you know, you play 36 holes the first day, a lot of these college tournaments. And I went out and I shot 69-73 or 73-69. I can't remember which was which, um, but I was in up. I was in the top five. Yeah. Um, and they had big time teams, Arizona State, Phil Mickelson. I think Phil was there, pretty sure. Not 100%, but I know Arizona State was definitely there. Um, and uh, Tim Heron played on the PGA Tour, was in New Mexico. Anyway, it was a good field. And I ended up – you know, finishing fourth in the tournament. Uh-huh. Uh, and we finished second. So it was like, dang, you know, guys off to a good start. And so that really gave me a lot of confidence. I was grinding on my mental game. I'd put notes in my yardage book and then buzzwords I'd be reading. I'd have mantras I'd work out. I mean, I was, I had to work hard at it. I don't, I don't know other people, I guess, you know, for whatever reason, I had to work really hard to get myself in the right mindset. I had to overcome. I was always battling doubt and doubts and um demon the demons of when i was not playing well and you know i still i still battle that stuff when i go out with my own clients it's kind of funny not Uh at the level that it was but you know it's it's something that i just you know i i i deal with for whatever reason i should probably have more confidence but it's always been something i've had to work on when it comes to golf Uh um so anyway i i go on to have a great senior year i made second team all all pack 10 and uh you know i was the team captain the number one man um it was uh it was a heck of a ride it's um, an incredible story right there and a long version yeah that's 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 great though i'm i'm glad you got to share the the story in full um but i think i think that um that story, like I was saying earlier, kind of allowed you to do even bigger things as well uh, in life. And like we said, coached at SMU and USC. And then almost a scarier risk was you, you want to spend more time with the family and the job that you were doing was coaching. So you're always recruiting, you're always at school and the days were just super long for you. So Talk about how that UCLA story and kind of failing and and seeing your work pay off feed into how you were able to jump from USC coaching to an entrepreneurship business. And then it's still standing 15 years later. 
Yeah, I think that, uh, well, I think a big reason why I was able to make that jump from coaching to do this, I got a lot of people to thank, um, certainly. Uh, I'd say most importantly, you know, mom, um, uh, my wife, um, you know, just giving me the confidence to go for it. Like, hey, I know you can do it. If it works out, awesome. If it doesn't, you'll find something else to do. You know, I think having somebody, you know, and I know some people in their life don't have that and that inspires them to do it. So, you know, you can have it both ways. But I was just I was very lucky that, you know, she was like, go for it. Um, and then obviously I had the support of uh, my mom and dad and um, other people that said, hey, you can do this. Uh, John Brooks uh, mm-hmm. started a business um you know, a couple of years prior, he was very instrumental and influential and helpful in me getting started and getting me comfortable with starting that business. But, uh, you know, I think it was, it was great. Obviously I wanted, um, to stay in golf and I wanted to, you know, not be gone so much. Um, uh-huh. and I honestly, again, I, I didn't think I'd be doing it 15 years. I didn't have a goal. I didn't write down. I want to do this for 15 years. I mean, honestly, I just kind of, okay. Uh, my dad helped me start it, you know, with the nuts and bolts of the foundation of it along, you know, John kind of gave me the framework, but my dad helped me write a business plan. So having that support, you know, and looking back on my experience, like you said, at UCLA and knowing that, listen, I just got to focus on what I can control. I know that I was a player. I know what I went through as a player. I know the experience I gained from coaching and I I have to say thank you to the people at, you know, SMU and USC for giving me that opportunity because I mean, geez, I mean, to, to be able to be at two unbelievable schools, golf programs, um, you know, they gave me that opportunity to be there and have that experience. And I would not be able to do what I've done the last 15 years without that. So I'm grateful for, you know, I'm grateful for that because being a coach, having that experience allows me to, you know, educate people the right way and have, have the knowledge to give them the, you know, good advice. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, the experience I went through at UCLA, um, having the opportunities and that helped me obviously made me want to coach because I figured, you know, I've been through everything as a player. So I got something to add to, to the player's experience from a coaching standpoint. So you know, as I tell you, you know, I, I don't, you know, when you're in the middle of it, I don't know how the dots are going to connect, but the dots connect, you know, things happen in your life for reasons that we can't explain necessarily when we're going through them. I've just always been a believer of that. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, my dad and mom always said it's, it'll, it'll work out and have faith and work hard and, you know, focus on what you can control and, you know, things, life kind of, I don't know. Life kind of has its twists and turns, but I'm very grateful for that. and grateful for having my own business for 15 years and got to spend time, a lot of time with you guys, obviously, and be a part of your, your growth and your development. And, um, you know, I feel very lucky for that. I think, uh, yeah, it's been, it's first off, it's been incredible having you around dad. I'm super grateful for that, but I think you have one of the best records, for high school basketball game appearances. If I played, <laughs> if I played, if I played 30 a year, uh, let's just, let's put it at 30 uh, uh, for what is it? Four years. You went to, I, you only missed one, right? 
I think, I mean, it, I mean, I remember Dawson Baker's dad, it was a spring game as your sophomore year and you didn't, you know, you were fighting for time. You get in a few minutes here, there, some games you play a little bit more, but you got in every game, but it wasn't necessarily a lot um, on the varsity as a sophomore, but he's like, man, you, you go to all these games, don't you? And I said, yeah, I don't, I try not to miss one. And, you know, it, it's something that, you know, first of all, I was fortunate because, you know, my work I can do, I'm mobile. Right. So I was fortunate for that. Um, and I can plan things around that. And, uh, you know, it was just a conscious decision that, that I made. My dad, uh, had a job where he was not as flexible, um, Mm -hmm. and not as mobile, but I don't, it's funny. I, I don't even think about it that way and resent it all. I'm, I was so grateful. He worked so dang hard, even if it's to show up for a couple holes or the last uh-huh. 10 minutes of basketball practice. And I just, I never forgot that. And it made such an impression on me that he would go to tremendous lengths just to see me for 10 minutes at the end of a practice. And he'd come in with his bottle of back then it was tab, which is disgusting diet pop. And then he'd have his nuts or, you know, snacks and he'd come in there with his tie kind of undone. His sport coat was off by then. And he'd, he'd shoot the crap with, you know, coach Vanna and my bat high school basketball coach. And he'd come yep. to a last hole of a golf round. And it's just like, it was just, and my mom would certainly every summer, she was walking around every dang hole. I mean, yeah. you know, she'd take us and she'd walk every hole. She'd, she'd laugh. Cause she said, I'd always lose five pounds when she (laughs) after a summer because yeah you know she did that so I had a mom that you know was always there watching me in my tournaments and and my golf tournaments and then a dad who would get there as best he could now when I had a big event or something like that he'd boondoggle it and he'd make it happen um but so anyway I had this great representation of parents that the bottom line is they did their best to give us their best and so you know that's what mom and I try to do as best we can and I was I'm fortunate I got to I got to see a lot of you guys and you know you guys are you know growing up and doing your own thing and now it's up to you to kind of navigate it you know we're always here obviously and you always have your family and um so anyway gotten off on a little tangent but you know I'm very grateful for being able to spend that much time with you guys it's been awesome yeah, well, as you know, I've told you this countless, countless times. Just super grateful for you and mom. You guys are truly the best. But uh, I know you got to get going at five, but I think there's one more story out there lingering that most people most people have heard of Tiger Woods. Um, probably he's like the Michael Jordan of golf, right? And you had the opportunity to play him in 18 holes, which was really 19 holes. So please walk us through that whole, whole story. Okay. Um, you've heard this for the thousandth time. Um, so the, the, it, it starts at the U S amateur. It was in 1991, I guess it was 91 or 92. I, I get, I get the years mixed up. I think it was 91 um, at Mirfield village and, Playing the U.S. Amateur, we're staying at Mirfield Village with a family friend of my dad's, actually a work, a work uh, colleague of his, and we're staying right there, just coincidentally. 
So we play the first 36 holes and uh, my dad's caddying for me, which was just awesome. Um, I make this shot on the 36th hole of the metal play. So there's 364 players that advanced to the finals from a, re- a local qualifying, regional qualifying. And I won that got to match play. I mean, got to the stroke play 36 holes. They, you, you know, three, 364 players, the top 64 make match play. I hit this shot on the 36th hole and make birdie on my last hole and make the cut line inside the cut line by two, I think. And so my mom that evening, we're at my dad's friend's house. We're staying the night there. Obviously we're having a barbecue and she calls the pro shop. It's really kind of funny because back then no cell phones, obviously calls the pro shop for my tea time who I'm playing. She hangs up the phone. She's got this big, big old smile on her face. And I said, I'm playing tiger. And she's like, yeah, you're playing tiger. Um, I just knew it. I just knew it as soon as she smiled and hung up the phone. So the next day go out there and, and, uh, you know, I'm two down going into 14 short par Mm. four, we hit our drives and the rain comes and the snow, I'm snow, the uh, lightning comes. So we have to delay it until the next day. So cool thing about that ESPN always picked up the second round. So they've got, they've got us picked up because tiger now, just so everybody knows he was young. He was 16 years old when I played him and I was 20 or 21. So, uh, I guess I would have been, I would have been 21. Um, so he was young. Um, but he had won two us juniors. So he was a known commodity and the hot shot and the next, the next mm-hmm. best thing. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, media on that. So we come out we start on 14. I win 14, 15, 16. Um, so I go one up with two to go. Um, then on the 17th hole, I made, I just, what, what am I going to say? I choked it. I hit it out of bounds way, right. Yeah. Um, left to right wind. I hit driver. I should have hit three wood. Um, still kick myself for that, but nonetheless, I lost the 17th hole, um, 18, uh, both hitting the fairway. He might hit the right rough. I hit it on the green pins up. I hit on the front fringe. I got about 16 to 18 feet mm-hmm. he hits in the front. He hits in the front right bunker. So I've kind of got the advantage now we're even he pitches it out of the bunker to about four and a half feet. And then I put it just goes over the front lip. Um, and I tap in, uh, well, he makes me, I wait, he makes me putt about a foot and a half putt. He has to make his four and a half footer for par to keep it going. And he makes it. And, uh, I tap it in the next hole we go and he makes a 35 footer for birdie, um, to beat me. And that was all she wrote. Um, but it was awesome. Um, ESPN caught it on tape. So I got that, that memory on tape, 18th hole or 18th green at least. And then the, the playoff hole. So it was fun. I mean, it was a great story. It would have been a hell of a lot better if I would have won. Um, but, uh, yeah, got to go toe to toe with tiger for one day and uh, fun memory. That's, that's awesome. That might be yeah. one of the coolest score- stories ever. And then, uh, what was the, uh, what your grandma, something like that, right? Was she watching it? Yeah. Or what? Yeah. That was funny. So grandma Gleason, my dad's mom, um, as the story goes, she lives in Gilmore city, Iowa at the time. And, you know, small, small little town. And she, she gets ESPN and supposedly she says, well, Teddy might be on TV. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it on. So she, she literally supposedly turns it on and there's my match with Tiger. (laughs) So she got to see the last hole or whatever it was, hole and a half of my match with Tiger Woods on ESPN. So, uh, that was something, some kind of 
the the stars were aligned and she got to see that happen. So that was cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And what, what, what an incredible story. And before you get out of here, um, I just like to kind of wrap it up with you've been through a lot of stuff that you really could have just quit and uh, said, I'd rather go to greener pastures basically. But um, what kind of advice would you have? Um, whatever it could be pieces of advice, could be one thing, a phrase, a motto, but just to anyone listening on uh, how they should respond if they encounter things or when they encounter things like this. Um, great question. I think uh, a lot of answers to that, but I think, uh, first of all, I did quit, you know, there are moments mm -hmm. I quit. So I want everybody to know that, you know, listen, um, sometimes maybe it's just uh, putting things on pause is a better idea. Um, ultimately I'd say this, that I think facing your fears, um, in a positive way, not like doing something stupid, um, yeah. but facing, you know, facing that, um, is an op is a real opportunity to grow and the mm -hmm. success that, that you have through obstacles, the success is basically, the fact that you're going through it. The success mm. is people define the success as a result. And I think you have to, you know, when you're going through obstacles and you, and you want to quit, you have to figure out what do I want first? Do I really want, like, where's the joy come from? And I think here's an important distinction that I really liked, I really love golf. And mm -hmm. the reason I quit golf was because I didn't want to be judged by my results. And so that really wasn't a, a good enough that really. And I'm so thankful because the reason I didn't, I, I just wanted to shy away from it because I was scared of what the result would be. And then based on that, I was scared of what people would think based on that result, because I was always Ted, the golfer. Now yeah. it, it's different if I didn't love it, mm. but I did really enjoy it and really wanted it. So mm -hmm. the only thing that was holding me back was, the, the perception of what other people's expectations might be or how I might be judged. So when people are going through something tough, I would just say, first of all, if you don't enjoy it, then don't do it. Right. Yeah. But, 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 but if you enjoy it, if you could just say, if you could make a wish and say, okay, I don't have to, I would really enjoy it if I yeah. didn't feel these expectations from other people, you know, where I'm getting at. Uh -huh. So, so, so I'd, I'd have them ask themselves that question. And the answer is, if you'd really, if you could take that away and you'd really enjoy it, if you didn't have to worry about what everybody else thought or thought or, or, or judged you or the perception mm -hmm. of you, then I'd say, I'd say, stick your heels in the ground and learn how to enjoy it and get mm -hmm. better at it and be get better at managing that um, and do it. Because, because I can tell you that there was times when I avoided the heck out of it because I didn't want to have to deal with that. But in reality, if I could dream my perfect dream, it's like, I want to go play. I want to play. I want to yeah. try it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, mm -hmm. and so I finally got to the point where I didn't give a shit about, well, I still, I shouldn't say that. I still cared. I still always have a sense of that. I deal with that. Like I said, from this day, but uh -huh. I cared a lot. I cared a lot less. And I wanted to make sure that I did it for me and not worried about other people. Mm -hmm. And so Sometimes people, you know, don't do things because they're worried about what that might look like or feel like or 
they don't want to have to face that. And I think getting comfortable where you're uncomfortable in a healthy way, in a healthy way, yeah, is a very good thing. And I still battle that with different things. Let me tell you, I still, I mean, that doesn't go away. Uh-huh. Um, I still have to manage that as a human being, as a 51 year old man, husband, father, business owner, you know, I'm not immune to those things. So I think it's important for people to know out there that, listen, everybody's got things they deal with. Everybody's got doubts and anxieties. They might not show them. They might not put them on Instagram. They might yeah. not talk about them. Life's hard. Life's not mm-hmm. easy. And uh, I just think I'd encourage people to go for it, I guess, is what I'm saying. If that's something you want. And and sometimes it's not, you know, if the success of it may not be the success the out, outside world will say is a success. But who gives a crap about them? You got to, you know, you get one life, you get one go. And I'm I'm so yeah. thankful. I'm just so thankful. And I didn't have this storybook ending. I didn't play the PGA tour. I didn't make money, a lot of money. I didn't, I couldn't make a living playing professional golf. I don't apologize for that at all. And, um, you know, in my college career, it took me shit. It took me four years to, to have one really good year. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, people can judge that they're the one I don't care because I know I grew up as a person I learned things that I've then been able to share because of the mentors I've had share with others, share with my kids, obviously Mm -hmm. share with my clients. Nobody can ever take that away from me. Nobody can ever take the, the, the feeling that I had, the work that I put in the challenges Mm -hmm. that I had, what I learned about myself that's there forever. Now the result of it, like I said, you know, I'm not on the PGA tour. That was a goal of mine. You know, I didn't do that, but it's all good with me. I mean, um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So my advice to people is do something you really enjoy. Um, don't be afraid to, 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 to go with the struggle. Um, Mm -hmm. if that's something you really want, but you got to really want, if you don't, then go do something else that you really want to do and don't beat your head against the wall. You got to want to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, but sometimes, you know, like I said, other people's judgments and thoughts can get in the way and, um, that's something that, uh, you know, is worth working through. Yeah. Well, that's a very valuable lesson because I see it obviously in golf and through your experience, but just in like kind of the world that we live in, you know, there's uh, Instagram and a lot of social media stuff. It's really just a highlight reel, but people's yeah. expectations see a post, right? And that's how they think life is going at that point. You know, it's the yeah. same thing with money or same thing with a new car. Oh, he got a new car. He must be rich. Nobody could be leasing it for a month, right? Mm-hmm. Or the house, you know, it's the same thing. So um, that's a great lesson, Teddy, Coach Gleason. Appreciate you coming on. Um, always, always, always a pleasure. That's great, honey. Love you, buddy. It was great. Love Thanks you, for man. having me on. All right, yes, buddy. Yes, sir. Through See it you. all. Through it all, baby. Love you.